Passion and purpose are leaders. Profit is a follower. Don't focus on the money. I know it's important. I really do know it's important. I can't tell you how much it's important, but passion and purpose are leaders and profit will follow. You do what you love. You're going to be great at it. You're going to be hungry for it. You'll be thirsty. You won't be able to get enough of it. And people will see that. And it's what you do on a daily basis is how you show up is where the results are going to start happening. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 102. Guys, I can't tell you how I never get tired of saying that now. It's only episode 102, but it feels amazing still and almost unsurreal to feel that I'm on the other side, episode 100. So if you're tired of me saying it, I'm sorry. I'm going to relish in it because there is so much work that goes into a podcast and being on the other side of episode 100 feels so good in my heart. It feels good in my heart because I hear from you guys out there listening what this podcast is doing for you with iTunes reviews, through emails, everything reaches my heart and fuels me to keep going and bring you more and more value to the podcast. And I got to be honest, today's episode was so good. I even really re-enjoyed it just as much as I did getting it ready to release as I did recording it. And I've had it since October, and I'm so excited to get this out because I wish I would have had this podcast and this episode in my life even just five years ago because this episode isn't like other episodes that we've done in the podcast. This one is focused on your career. Now, this isn't something we talk about a lot. We, we hint at it here and there. But it's time to go fully in on the transition, the mindset, the idea of growing through what you're going through and figure out how you create impact and purpose and find your next mission on the other side of your military service. Because through all the different things in the military right now, transitioning is one of those things that you fall either into the crack of like, man, it's so hard or you've somehow made it. And I feel like I had such a lucky transition, but that was really just the beginning of my transition. I got a job very quickly, but man, that's where the real work began because I didn't know how to identify myself. I didn't know how to lead myself in corporate world. And today's guest would have rocked my world. And you might be recognizing this guest today if you've been a longtime listener or you've been within the veteran community. Today's guest is just He's been a friend of mine for over a year now, and I'm so glad that he came into my life because we've supported each other on and off throughout over that last year, and we have such a common heart and mission, and he's helped this podcast learn that legacy is the most important thing we leave. Before this guest came on the podcast over a year and a half ago, legacy wasn't even a word in my vocabulary that I was using on the podcast. And so without further ado, we are bringing back Kirby Ingalls, who, if you remember from episode 16, was on our podcast. And he is the very first guest that I'm welcoming back for the second time. And I couldn't be more excited to bring back Kirby because, like I said, he's a longtime friend and he is so important to this mission. His heart is so full of love. And he, as an example, has five kids leading himself in the military still, leading his wife, leading his family, starting a business. There are so much wisdom that Kirby drops in this episode. 
You will not want to miss it. And if you want to listen to my big takeaway of this, as always, stay tuned for the other side of this episode. And I will be back to share my big takeaway. But right now, let's get started with Kirby Angles on really how you begin to find your why on the other side of transitioning and how you can find your next big impact in life. Welcome back to the podcast, Kirby Angles. I am excited to say that for the very first time on Military Veteran Dad, Kirby Angles was way back in the beginning of this podcast, and I am so glad he is back. But he's back for a different reason, because today's episode, he is going to talk about something that he has really stepped more into, and he's been finding his voice, he's been starting his craft, and he's on his way out of his transitioning out of the United States Army as well. And this is going to be his jam, which is owning your life and owning the part of your career and getting through to really move yourself up within that corporate ladder and have a process. And oftentimes it doesn't feel like a process. So Kirby, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Ben. And it's great to be back here on the Military Veteran Podcast. I appreciate you having me back again. Um, it's such an honor. So, And interesting enough, you were episode 16. And I think when you were episode 16, you'd only had four kids, correct? Actually, yeah, that's right. I only had four kids. And about 10 months ago, um, Jacob Rhett Ingalls was born. And so that adds number five to the list. And it's definitely, I always describe when people give you that look when you, I, I get to look at three kids. So I can imagine you get the look when you have five kids. Like the always way I use it to diffuse it is, yeah, it's like kind of like living in an Instapot. Life's always under pressure. And I can imagine with five, life is always under pressure. So I got to ask an important question before you unpack your career part here. So you're in the army, which is a career minded field, but it's often one where you don't have to do a lot of like deep thinking. The army kind of very, or most military branches are very good at kind of, this is your path. You follow it and you get to where you want to go. How did you start to unpack and understand that this was something that you really enjoyed when you really haven't had a corporate career yet to figure out how to fall in love with it yet? Yeah, that's an interesting story. You know, I, you know, played around with getting out probably three or four different times um, over the career and for no particular reason. I mean, sometimes it was family, sometimes, you know, uh, divorce, you know, and I wasn't going to get to see my, you know, oldest son as much, you know, who's 17 now. And, you know, there was things like that that always kind of crept in there and, you know, always stayed for, because I thought, you know, it was something that I was good at, um, security and a lot of other things. But I don't know if the purpose was really there. I mean, there was purpose, right? Because there was family heritage. So I can trace my family's lineage all the way back to the American Revolutionary War and the French and Indian War. And so my family served in every major campaign, every war, you know, blah, 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 you know, all the way back. And there's, it's all documented really well. My family came over in 1747 before this is even a country, you know? And so it's military pride and, you know, America is a big deal to us. And, and so, you know, there was that, right? And there was that itching, you know, saying that my grandfather said to me um, when I was asking him after my first enlistment, you know, and I was getting ready to read this second time. And he was asking me, he's like, are you going to go again? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I don't like it so much. You know, um, it's kind of getting old, you know, and I'm just not sure anymore. I don't really have anything else to do. And he told me, he's like, you know, I got out of the Navy because I just wanted off that damn ship. 
you know, and he was on a command ship, right? So there was always popping ceremonies. There was always this and that. They were always having to do extra stuff because they always have foreign uh, dignitaries come on board the ship and do, like we would do in the army is pass and reviews and, you know, show honor to those people. And he's like, I just got tired of it. I told him, I says, you can put me on any other ship in the fleet. Send me to a different fleet. I don't care. And they said, nope, you're staying on the ship. And he's like, fine, I'm getting out. And he got out. And he said, I always regretted it. So I didn't regret meeting your grandma. I didn't regret having seven kids. So five kids is not a big deal because he had seven. And um, and so, but, you know, he just said I had that regret. And so I always like, I don't want to have that regret. I want to go and finish it out. And so after 20, I had an opportunity to get promoted again. So I stayed a few more years. And so it wasn't until Jack Tilly, the former Star Major of the Army, came to Joint Base Meyer Henderson Hall when I was with the Old Guard, um, which is the escort to the President of the United States. And when I was serving in the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, uh, he came there and he began to talk about relationships and thinking about what you're going to do when you get out of the Army. And I was about 16 years at that point, maybe 15. And I was like, yeah, that's right. You know, I've been in this HR job and I don't like it as much anymore. And I've kind of climbed up the ranks, you know, and it's just meetings and writing policy and just a bunch of stuff I didn't like doing anymore, you know. And it wasn't the management, leadership management portion of it. I didn't enjoy it. It was just the all the other stuff that came with it, the red tape. And so he said, you know, he started talking about relationships and he says, the first day that you join the military is the first day you begin thinking about what you're going to do when you get out. Because every decision that you make thereafter needs to be focused on what you're going to do when you leave the military. Because the military is not going to need you forever. There's a, there's an expiration on your term of service. Now we have, you know, soldier for life program, right? Just like the Marines have, you know, a Marine forever, you know, however they say it. Um, and so we started adopting that mentality. But when he was there, it was like, you need to think about that. Whatever school you take, whatever assignments you take, whatever additional duties you take needs to be geared towards something you're going to be doing later on because you want to take those skill sets outside. You know, what you're doing here is valuable. He says, but you need to set yourself up for success. And so I started thinking about that. He planted a big seed in my head. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And so I started to triangulate things, right? So I said, okay, this is what I loved about HR. I love problem solving. I love working with people. I loved helping people, you know, navigate the regulations and, you know, all the other things to help them get what they really needed. You love being the flashlight. That's exactly it. You know, and most of them just came to you and were like, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to help me. But, you know, my boss told me to come talk to you. Okay, well, then let's figure this out. And I would try and find and search for a way to figure it out. You know, most people saw obstacles. I saw opportunities. And it was just a mindset that somebody had implanted in my head early in my career. And so I tried to become the best customer service oriented HR guy. And most people hate HR guys in the military because they're holding up your pay and your promotions. I hate the shortcut of so most really... people don't like HR on the other side either. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't want to do that anymore. Right. And so I was like, okay, I, I, I love that aspect of it. And then I loved, I was at the position I was in at the time. I was the, uh, the first sergeant for HHC for fourth uh, infantry third uh, or fourth battalion, third infantry regiment. And I loved that mentoring coaching training aspect where I got to work with people and do personal and professional development. And so as I began to kind of circle these things together and do some searching, I ran across this thing called human services counseling. And I went to school. Um, There's a class that said uh, uh, it was about life coaching. I was like, Oh, let me try that. You know, I got master resilience trainer, you know, I've done that before. I can probably, you know, do this. And I took the class and I began to fall in love with it. I actually read a good book uh, that kind of became my coaching Bible called Christian Coaching. 
Um, and I just loved most of the stuff that was in there. I was just writing it, highlighting in it. I was doing all, it's like falling apart now because I use it so much still today. And then I took the advanced course and then I took leadership coaching and then I took health and wellness coaching. And then I just became, that's it. And I just started to, I couldn't wait. I mean, even six years ago, that's when I started my business. I was halfway through my master's program. I was like, you know, I can't wait no more. I got to start coaching today. And I did. And every mentor that I've had since then has said, I've done basically everything right that you could do. I've started to gain experience on the outside before I left. I've done this, I've done that. And I didn't do it. It was just, I was hunting a passion and I get, got hungry and I, I just couldn't get enough. And so I, I still can't get enough. I would second that opinion of yourself. You can't get enough. You know way too much. Yeah, yeah. And it's benefited me on the inside too because I've taken that level of coaching, what we call teach, coach, mentor, but we really don't coach well in the military service. And so I've seen how to do it, but we're not really coaching people. We're telling people, you know, people see coaching like baseball or basketball, you know, but that's not what coaching really is about. Coaching is really finding a person where they're at and helping them get to where they want to be at, but then try to close the gap. And we don't do enough of that. So we kind of had this like cookie cutter system in the military. And we say, well, you got to make all these benchmarks and then you'll get promoted. And then when you get promoted, then you'll be happy. Yeah, right. And you're never happy because no. you're not fulfilled. But coaching dives into the unique skill sets of an individual and exposes those, those strength-based approaches. So, and then you also touch on the weaknesses too, but you also explore other areas and opportunities for growth. And it's, it's been pretty powerful. I've actually learned more probably than most of my members because I get to gain their experience and they get to gain mine. So yeah, you're never like that's a beautiful part of a relationship is you're never the same person after you've experienced someone else's mm-hmm. view and they've enriched your life with a view that you've never been able to have. I want to go into a place because this is like your purpose and your passion. It's kind of a curse word, not because it's a curse word, like a swear word, but it's a curse question because a huge amount of people, and I would say in the military where it's very routine based. They never ask that type of question because no one asks them it. And so once you ask them someone, they can't stop thinking about it. And I've been diving into the no more Mr. Nice Guy content, which essentially means that men just sacrifice our own sovereignty for the well-being of others. And every time we do that, we lose a little bit of what makes us happy. And I've been really running into a lot of guys that always come back and say, I no longer know what makes me happy. Like they've literally at some point they took a left turn and they've been miles down this road so far. They don't even remember what life was like before fatherhood or being married, what they really like doing or what really filled them up. So when you reach those people that not necessarily are closed minded, but they've never cracked it open to see what's on the outside. How do you first get them to like one, not be overwhelmed? Because like I said, it's a curse question. I remember when I first found it, I was like, I, I have no idea. And I just overthought it for weeks and months because I didn't have a coach to help me get through it. So what's that process look like for someone that's stuck on this mode They've just found out they're supposed to have a passion and purpose, but maybe they've been sacrificing themselves for the good of everybody else around them. And they really don't know where to begin. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. And it's getting people to see the other side. And sometimes it just depends on the individual. And I have to get a feel for them at first, how how they're going to react. Sometimes I could just be very raw, real, and honest. And and I I can say what I need to say up front. And sometimes I have to lead them into it. 
And I always like to preface my conversations. The very first, this is not my agenda. This is your agenda. So I want to support them as much as possible. But sometimes that requires me to support them in a way that, hey, I'm going to go along this journey with you. But at some point along the journey, which most of the members of my programs do, they get to a spot and they're like, hmm, this doesn't, this isn't right. Something's not right here. I don't like this anymore. You know, and then they hear my suggestion from, you know, weeks or even months prior to, and they're like, fuck, he was right. Right. And so, but that's me. That's being a supportive partner. I don't say, I told you so, or you see, you know, you should have listened. I don't do that. I'm like, Hey, it's cool. You just need to pivot. We'll, we'll backtrack a little bit. We'll go back to that spot and we'll begin again. It's not a big deal. Uh, and, and sometimes that has, yeah, this isn't working out so much. But there's still lessons to be learned there, and there's still things to be had. So that's extremely important to remember that. And you know, like I said, other people I can just be real and honest with them, and you know, and and sometimes it takes two or three or four, you know, to them. Most of the time I'm trying to pull out of it, and that's what I love about coaching is, is it's not about me telling them how to do it; it's me pulling it out so they pursue something that works best for them. So what I loved about what you just said there was being able to pull it out of them because that honestly is the single biggest memory that I remember from the three-month stint that I was platoon sergeant in my Marine Corps days because what I loved doing was taking the Marines that everybody else had labeled as the bag of ass and finding the Marine that was in there and instilled them in boot camp, but they had essentially lost it along the way where they were told they were just a bad Marine and like being able to pull that value out that they can't see and I think that's like being the mirror is one of it's it's a very addictive feeling because you it's a very euphoria high on the other side of that when you help someone see a potential in themselves that they can't yet see in themselves. And I loved how the way you put it there because it was just beautifully worded of trying to as a coach you help pull that out. And if you're a dad listening to this, I want you to understand also that sometimes it's okay if you don't know. But this is very important to listen, is that you need other people in your life, whether it be a coach, friend, mentor, it doesn't matter. There are certain things that you can't figure out until someone becomes a mirror to mirror back that value, whether it be a regular conversation, it doesn't matter. So many of the friends in my life have been that mirror that have got me to where I'm host of this podcast because if they weren't that mirror, I would have continued down the path of feeling miserable and broken because inside my head, that was all the narrative that I could see. Yeah, you know, the other important thing about the pulling out of people is is there's and there's a difference, right? There's a difference, you know, people say all the time, like, what's the difference between mentor coaching and counseling? And counseling is is you're moving backwards, right? You're trying to fix something that's so bad in your life, right? That you know, you you need a counselor and you're working on past issues. Coaching doesn't work on past issues, coaching works on the present, moving a person forward to something that they want to achieve or even performance wise. Mentoring is telling somebody how you did something and they kind of follow that path and you kind of guide them along that. Coaching, what it does is it pulls the uniqueness out of an individual and they set their own clear path with their own um, understanding of it. And they, they have those shifts, those paradigm shifts where they begin to see things through a different lens. And that requires just asking some really powerful questions. And some of the most powerful questions that I think that I get to ask, that I like to ask, which 
but as a kid growing up, and this is goes to your, your podcast, you know, as, as fathers too, is, you know, my stepfathers, I had three of them. So I don't know who my biological father is, but I had three stepfathers growing up at different various times. And every time I'd ask a question, they would say, stop asking me questions. You know, why are you always asking why? Don't ask me why. I just told you to do it. That kind of sounds like a military mindset to me. And we do that a lot. And so when we're able to get down to the why, and I think the guy that puts it the best, the best that I've ever seen was Simon Sinek with the golden circle, you know, and he always says companies and even organizations or or, um, uh, even individuals start with why, not what you do, not how you do it, but why you do it. That's the most important premises of anything that we do. And, you know, somebody will say, well, why are you doing it? Because I want to make more money. Why do you want to make more money? Because I want to improve the lifestyle of my family. Why do you want to improve the lifestyle for my family? And you start to dive deeper uh, into those whys and you start to peel those layers, that onion back, and you'll get to the core of that onion and you'll understand why. And once that person says it out loud, it's off to the races after that. What you're also pointing out is, People are going to go through a process, and this is something that I've distinguished as I've entered my own coaching role, is sometimes you're trying to, one, identify, just like stick a pin on a map, like if you're visiting one of those waysides on the side of the interstate, there's always a pin that says, you are here. Like the very first step in coaching is to stick that pin on whatever map that person has of their life and be like, okay, this is here. But then before I move someone forward, I always like to just go through kind of a basic routine of the past because sometimes there's trip minds from the past that continue to trip them up as they take step forward. Or sometimes they have those balls and chain that they're pulling with them and every step is a little bit harder because they haven't figured out how to cut that story, that truth, that limiting belief go. And I imagine you probably find the same thing within your coaching practice, right? Oh yeah, definitely. There's a lot of linchpins. Uh, I mean, you know, and and you have to work through those things. I mean, every week it's something different, uh, but it all really circles back to the the same thing, you know. And and people they, they just you know, there's so much stuff going on in our lives right now that we just don't get clear, and we've we've just gone so fast and so hard for so long we forgot why we were doing the things that we were doing. And, and that's, that's been the you know, problem for most corporate folks. I mean, they're going so fast that they, they, they don't even like, I, I had this one lady I worked with, she was an attorney in a, in a corporate company and uh, she was working till eight, nine o'clock at night, like Monday through Friday, you know, coming in at five, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning, you know, just because the company was moving that fast and they were growing that fast and she had no time and she needed more team members and she couldn't hire fast enough. And so she was like drowning. And so we had to be able to create space for her to kind of understand a lot of these things and and pull some of those linchpins because she was involving some of her own self-destructive behaviors. Um, And a lot of that comes from just things we've developed over time because we try to pile more stuff on and we always try to hack life. And really, you don't need a hack life. You just need to simplify it. You need to get down to the three or four things that, you know, are important to you and you need to focus on those things because truly the, it's cliche to say, but less is more. And the less you have the, you know, the more you can, you know, those things you can master um, and you'll be much more effective that way rather than trying to do a, a crap ton of things and just, you know, be mediocre at best, a lot of stuff. So that reminds me of the book of the the one thing of talking about essentialism and the power of moving just one thing forward in your life. And, and it's so 
difficult within corporate society because there's so many corporations in the United States and all over the world. And there is so many different methods to manage those people. There's so many different ways to get lost. Just if you're a civilian, let alone a veteran trying to navigate this world. Let's paint the picture for a veteran. You've transitioned out of the military. You three years on the other side of transition, you assimilated the TAPS code. You got a suit, you got your interview, you took and translated the basic skills you had on the other side, but where you are, you don't feel alive. You feel like you go to work and you're in the motion, but you don't know the right question to really ask to see the world differently. What does that veteran that I just described need to be able to understand to be able to move forward? Well, yeah, and that's, I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, all of our skills are translatable, and I think most people have a hard time with that. But it's really, it's finding that sense of higher purpose. You know, it's, it's while you're in the military, you're doing this incredible mission. Um, you're protecting freedom and preserving the American way of life. And that's bigger than any one person in the world. I mean, it's it's incredible what people do on a daily basis, you know, and to be willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice, and some do, uh is is huge and that's that's one of those things that you just can't you just can't replace that uh, and so what i did um was i found a way that i could take those skill sets and i could put it in a very purposeful way and leadership coaching is just one aspect of of what i do but i also do other things and if you if i have a, like i said you know if you have a career right there like like i do like leadership coaching there can be another aspect of your life sometimes a career right is a driver for you right to get to somewhere else as long as you're very purposeful and very directional and vision and mission oriented you can use that driver to get to the next step, to get to where you want to be so that you do have that purposeful life. I tell people there's three types of people in the world. And there's that one person that goes Monday through Friday that hunts for the paycheck. That's it. They only care about is drinking beer, eating barbecue, and watching the game or the race on TV on the weekend. That's all they care about. Then there's that person that wants a career because they want some kind of security at the end. And then there's a person who has a calling that is in it for the rest of their life. Retirement probably has no meaning to them because they're going to continue to work and they find purpose in their work and what they do. And they want to continue to contribute, give back because they know they add value to something. And that's more meaningful than anything that they could possess or themselves um, because they know they're making that imprint or impact. Um, and that's a word that I like to use a lot is impact, because that's what I hope everybody tries to do at some point is to impact their community or their families. When you talk about impact there, can you expand on a little bit? Because before we hit record, you talked about something that you said I was going to get super excited and it was called purpose to impact. Yeah. So this is something I ran across um, about a year ago, um, and I started to implement uh, a while back and uh, about six months ago, and I've used it with several of my members. Actually, um, one of them, I'll preface it with this, one of them actually did went through the, the exercise, and then he showed it to his boss, and his boss just fell in love with what he did. And he loved it so much and it gave him so much clarity and understanding of what he was trying to do because he was a, basically a director in an organization. And that director's position was pretty much a dead end. And he was probably never going to see a C-suite level executive position. He really needed to get to the VP spot so he could compete for that C-suite spot. And he didn't know how he was going to do it because nobody in his position ever got to that 
that next level. I mean, it was literally a dead end. So he, he showed it to his boss. His boss loved it. Uh, they started to develop a plan behind it. And uh, the next thing I know, he's called me back and he's like, hey, I'm going to make all four of my people that work for me do this too. And they did it. And he came back and said, oh, they all loved it. And so I tried it with two or three more people after that. And everybody has been resonating with it ever since then. And everybody that has done it has had tremendous success because not are they, they're just not competing for a position, right? They're creating this plan that serve, not just serves themselves, right? Because obviously they're going to be benefactors of some of this work, but it serves the organization and it serves the community that they're supporting. You know, and if you think about it, like these big corporate companies, they impact thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in their communities and across the world. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, you know, don't look at the stockholder aspect of it. Look at the stakeholder, the guy that picks up the garbage, you know, the the kids, you know, if that person doesn't have a job, then he's probably not dropping his kids off at daycare, which is employing somebody else. So when you look at the impact that an organization has, it's pretty tremendous. When we shut down baseball fields and football games and things like that, you're talking about, you're impacting a lot of people, the people that keep the lights on, the people that pick up the trash, you know, the, the vendors, the people that do the parking lots outside, you know, that collect money for that. So you're impacting an entire ecosystem. And so when you start to put your purpose to impact into perspective, you realize that you can do all, you can do a lot more good in the world than what you realize. And so the way this purpose to impact statement works is basically you create a, a purpose statement, you know, why am I here? Why am I here? You know, why do I exist on this earth? And why am I here in this organization? And then you have to write an explanation on that. And then the third step would be to write your three to five year goals. And when you do that, you know, I know that's a long ways out for a lot of people, but we're just going into a direction. You're, you just have an idea of where you want to go and where you want to plant yourself. Imagine like a GPS system. So if you, you know, open Google Maps and you your destination is here right now. Where do you want to go? And this kind of ties into coaching, right? I'm here and this is where I want to go. Now, how do I close that gap? And Google will give you three different destinations, the alternate route, the shortest route, and then a, um, a scenic route. And so which route are you going to take? And you have to choose. And so that's all we're doing here. We're picking a destination. And then we'll set, you know, we'll roll that back. We start the backwards plan and we set two-year goals. And then we set one-year goals, right? And then from there, so we're just keeping rolling. What do I got to do in the first year? What do I got to do in the second year? What do I got to do three to five years out to make my purpose to impact statement become a reality? And then the last step, which is, you know, you're mapping out the critical steps and you do that every year. So every year, as you get closer and closer, you map out those critical next steps. And we only worry about the first year at this point when we map those critical steps out. And those are figuring out what your six months goals are, how you know what those steps are. Uh, and those aren't goals. They're like benchmarks, more or less. And then you're three months and then 30 days. And the one I like the most important is, is the one I usually ask most people is, what are you willing to commit to within the next 48 hours? What are you willing to commit to in the next 48 hours? And that tells you if they're really committed or if they just wrote something down on a piece of paper. And then after that, we start working on this thing that you mentioned earlier in the show was relationships. We examine the key relationships in a person's life. And that does include your wife, your children, your support network, and the people you work with. And so, and I think that you cannot separate all those because life is life. It's all integrated and one affects the other. Um, you can't just flip a light switch on when you walk in a door. It, it just doesn't work like that. You know, there is some residual effects going back and forth. And so that's 
you know, that's been something that I've had to realize and I've called it work life integration. And so out of bounce or out of whack when I have my seasons of highs and lows, I have to learn to integrate my family and what I do. And whether that be, you know, they attend a conference with me whenever those start back up or, you know, they go, you know, drive down to St. Louis when I go speak at a conference or something like that or whatever it is, it just needs to incorporate them some way, somehow. And what I was also like when you talked about that purpose to impact statement is I'm surprised you didn't mention it because I perfectly gave you the layup to mention it. Because when you first were here in episode 16, you talked about legacy, which then has been a rabbit hole on this podcast ever since, is right on the end of impact is everything that you do, all of the actions, the goals, all the whys, it all ties up into is when you go back to be returned to dust and ashes to the earth, what's left behind. And if you make a big enough impact, your impact is always being able to be measured And it's not something that's summed up on a dash that there's something left behind, whether it be a business, a family, great kids, great kids that go out into the world as good adults. Like all of that, when it gets aligned is really when you start to create that legacy that we've talked about so often on the podcast. And you just, you start making generational change in your life and impact, not just even on the impact of your own life. Yeah, that's key. And that's what the purpose statement really gets after is, is why am I here? What am I doing? What kind of impact am I going to have? You know, and I remember that that conversation that we had, and we talked about that legacy, and which was so important to me. Especially, I began to realize that after my grandfather passed away, you know, and I saw his legacy, that really had an impression on me, and I started thinking about that a lot more. And that's one of the questions that I ask on the podcast that I host is, is you know, Mother Teresa has that quote about throwing a stone in the water and creating a ripple effect. Well, what is that ripple effect? Is it going to be through community? Is it going to be for the next three or four generations? How are you going to impact? And I think it's important for me because I want to change the way my family, you know, tree has gone for a long time. You know, I mean, there's been challenges. I mean, you know, I grew up without a father, you know, I don't want that for my kids. You know, I don't want my kids to grow up and get a divorce and, you know, have to go through everything that I went through. So I want to change that. And there's so many people in this country that are suffering from the same thing. Like one in four boys grow up without a father. That's crazy. I was just reading a statistic the other day that says 39% of millennial fathers don't even live with their families, you know? And I was like, what is this going to do? You know, to our society? What is this going to do to our country? And I think it's it's extremely challenging to kind of tie it back to the, the dad piece of it, but that's the legacy that I'm trying to create. And so whatever that stone is you cast, you know, you can create that ripple effect and your purpose is one of those stones um, that you can cast into the water. And I like to talk about generational wealth because that's what I'm trying to create for my family. And that's, that's just not like wealth is in finance. That's wealth in relationships, experiences, life. That's Rockefeller type wealth, name recognition. That's the money recognition, the the Carnegie type legacy where libraries still have the Carnegie name because that's one of the biggest gifts he left after he's left. I was driving through Kansas not long ago and uh, I was doing a trail race with some friends of ours and I ran, we were just, it was like a town of 800 people and there's a Carnegie library in that town, like a remote town in Kansas with 800 people. And I'm like, how does that happen? So, and you, you see the type of legacy that the man had and the type, what he did with his money. He used this as a tool. So to, to better the lives of other people. You hit on something that I think is a massive elephant. And I want to make sure the listeners, whether you're a manager out there, maybe you're a president or a CEO listening to it, 
is when you get what Kirby is talking about, your purpose to impact statement aligned, you don't just create a monumental shift in your career. You don't just create a monumental shift in your family. You had that word there, you integrate them. And I have been, as I've moved and understood what meant to be a heart-centered leader, I am more, more convinced the biggest untapped resource that corporations leave on the table is they don't help their employees become better connected parents at home. Because when a parent feels connected with purpose and passion at home, they bring that excitement back to work because they understand that everything they're trying to do at home, their dreams or goals they want for their kids their job is their vehicle to get that. And it's their why. Like maybe you want to go on amazing vacations every year with your kids. The why to make that happen is showing up at work. And if you have that understanding at work that you know you're supported and that you have dreams and goals outside of this place and you create that integrated kind of impact statement, you just 10X the engagement, which engagement is like a massive buzzword, but no one ever really talks about, are you an engaged parent at home? It's only the engagement in the four walls of the building. And they just miss out on the biggest component that actually, to me, truly made for my own reflection, how I felt at home was a direct reflection of how I felt when I went into work. And most organizations don't even acknowledge that that fly sits on the wall and nobody ever notices. Oh, yeah. And that brings up something that I was talking about earlier tonight with one of the members I was coaching, and he was working on his vision statement for his performance team. And uh, he, we were talking about it, and he mentioned three things in his, his vision statement. Um, and it was people, partners, and performance. Those were the three things that he wanted to focus on on his team. And when he described people, he described it, right? He described it as the people on his team you know, helping them with their careers, helping develop them as leaders in the future. And as I was working with this, this, this manager, I told him, I said, you know, I says, is, is that as far as you go as defining people? I was like, is that it? And he was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, that's what I have control of. And I was like, let's look at people from a different aspect. I, I get the partners and I get the performance piece, right? But what about the, the people that support your employees, like the families, you know, I was like, what about those? Do you, you know, and that's one of the things I said, I always learned in the military was, is that people goes beyond the people that are in our ranks. People goes to the families that support us and the people that support us and around us. And I was like, you, you have to think to consider that too. So if Johnny's on the job and he's got stuff going on, he's not going to be a performer, but if he has the ability to come to you and knows that you care about people and he can lay his family issues out for you, and you can say, you know what, I think we can work out where you can have some time here and you can have some time there. And, you know, maybe maybe we can shift this so you can get, you know, little Daisy off to daycare and you don't have to be working late every day. You know, we can make some things work. I've seen those things happen. And when people truly care, they care about their families as well. And they want to make sure that they're taken care of because if the families are taken care of, then the people can show up to work and do the best job that they can to fulfill their potential. You hit on something there that, again, is it's kind of a double-edged sword because, one, you have to have the space intimacy within a business culture to talk about family. And I've had a few dads that I've coached where they were going through divorce or maybe they were having a challenging time. And I would always quickly ask, like, how well is your relationship with your manager? Do you talk about okay things? Do you share any family stories? And oftentimes, it's the internal ego that says, oh, you can't reveal this struggle because at work, you need to have this personification that you have it all together so that you're promotable and you don't bring it to your manager. But then both of these men that I coached, they came back and said, yeah, they 
the manager actually had a shared experience and he's like, yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're going through. Take whatever you need. And it's just this bullshit filter in our head that won't allow us to see it. And I think the, the lesson I want to make sure everybody gets, especially this is a lesson I've repeated till I've been blue in the face for military commanding officers is the best way to acknowledge that people have families is to acknowledge you have one yourself. And I was just telling another podcast, another story that I wish I could be a commanding officer at some point in the past because I always wanted to open up and maybe I'll have an, a different weird opportunity. I'll be addressing some unit in the army or one of the branches in some future. I'm going to start off by sharing my worst dad moment because there's so much power by sharing that I'm human and I struggle. And that's the, to me, like the secret sauce that even organization, a CEO that wants to like decisively say it's okay to have hard days at home and bring that emotion to work is just open up your doors to your own life. Because once you create the space, it's going to be perfectly validated that it's okay for everybody else to do that. And it's just this tool that most people within business are too afraid to, to, to touch even, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's what, you know, that's the one of the things that um, I've had to work on over the last year or two. I mean, cause you, you have this, you just, as a veteran, you develop this military mindset, like you're, you're tough as nails and you're, you're you just walk around with a flak jacket on the internet. Yeah. Time. You know, and you can drink a cup of coffee and you can be that guy on um, when we were soldiers, you know, you'd be that old star major in that movie, you know, that's not what we're like, you know, and I know men are very you know vulnerable when it comes to trying to express their feelings and stuff and they don't want to do it. So we put up that, that roadblock. So sometimes we don't even know how to express our emotions, or our feelings, but we struggle. Like I was telling you before we came on here, four days ago, my wife broke both of her feet, you know, and I'm like having to be Mr. Mom and Mr. Dad. And so it's rough, you know, it's not easy, you know, and and when somebody says, hey, how you doing? I'm gonna be like, I'm sucking. <laughs> I mean, stop, stop telling people you're okay. You're fine. You know, because that's not the truth. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to each other. I almost have a sixth sense for good and fine when people are really bullshitting me. You got to stop saying that stuff. It's just an automatic response that comes out of our mouths. And if you don't tell people what's going on, people don't know how to help you. And people want to help you. That's the other part that we lie to ourselves. Like people, you're actually withholding a gift because when you let someone else help you, you're not just helping yourself, like letting someone else step in and be someone that can help you. Like that helps them through whatever, maybe they were having a bad day. And when you can serve another human being, that's outside your selfish reasons to exist every day and go through, you feel routine, good. You feel good. Like, so when you don't open up your heart and ask for help, you're actually withholding yourself and being selfish because you can actually give the gift of the same feeling mutually. And by the same time, you get helped out. I want to go to a specific spot. I want to do maybe, I don't know what exactly I want to call it, but maybe a rapid fire because one of the biggest things that I think your superpower is, and you've talked about some of the coaching clients that you've got that you create this package and you can take them from like a $60,000 range or in over a year, you can sometimes double that or increase it by 25%. And as a dad, money is something that is for me, it's been something that's very scarce. It was something that I always had a hard time, no matter how much money I made in my corporate career, it was never enough. And it's one of those things that can underrode your entire family, especially during COVID. Maybe your financial ability to provide has even been shaken. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe your job was removed like me. What are some of the like quick tips that a dad out there looking to increase his salary without being an idiot or an asshole that does it in a negative way or just like go out and be like trying to do it in a bullish way. 
what are some of the best results that you've got that you can help a dad to get some quick wins on trying to maneuver to a better position as a salary? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I would say figure out your strengths. Uh, you, you have to figure out those strengths. We think we know what our strengths are. Um, and I always tell people to take some of those assessments and then self-awareness is the biggest key. You, you have to be self-aware. So if you want some tips, um, self-awareness is going to be the biggest one. And I'll tell you a few different ways to do that. First of all, whatever, you know, whatever it is you do, you know, meditate, pray, whatever, you just have to create enough space in your life to where you can actually think and hear yourself think, right? Stop the racing thoughts. It's going to take time. You cannot do it overnight. Um, you know, look, when I first started, I couldn't sit for five minutes without, you know, like, oh my gosh, the kids, you know, this or that, or I could hear footsteps upstairs, you know, and it bothered me. It takes time. Lock yourself in a closet, and and just sit there and just get some space and think. The other thing is is to to write write those things down, right? Write the things down that you think about and the things that you know that get the stuff off your mind. Get just get it out. Um, the other thing is write down your plans and your priorities, right? That's what you have to do first. You know, most people in the corporate world that I've noticed that struggle, um, they're trying to do everything but they're not doing the one thing, right? So you got to figure out what your plans and priorities are. Um, there's a pretty good trick. Uh, it's a hundred year old checklist. And basically the guy um, um, to, the, to the effect of on, on the commute home, um, basically would write a list of everything he needs to do the next day. That's it. That's all he would do every day. Just get it off of his mind before he gets home. He had a 40 minute commute. That's what he did. Um, like I said, take the assessments and the tests. Go Myers-Briggs. Go to um, DISC personality system. Go to Strength Finders 2.0. Um, they all have their pros and cons. Uh, but as you begin to dive into those assessments, they're all have scientific basis behind them. Uh, you begin to know a little, little bit more about yourself and why you act. I'm a high D when it comes to this personality profile system. So that's direct driven, demanding and uh, direct driven, demanding. Um, I can't remember what the other D was right now, but uh, basically, you know, I can get when I'm by myself, I can work really, really hard and I can get tunnel vision and I can get locked down in this basement um, and get a lot of stuff done and not come up for air. But when I'm in a group setting, um, I can end up taking over a room, especially when there's a lot of collaboration. And I have to be very aware that I don't overstep and push other people away because some people aren't driven like me. And that can be intimidating to people, uh, especially when I'm trying to control the conversation. And it shows up on podcasts too sometimes. <laughs> but in the other, uh, another trick we tried um, uh, with a gentleman was uh, uh, we asked for feedback. So he emailed 10 people in his company and he offered him a $20 Starbucks gift card to give him answer five questions. And so the people that responded by email back to him, he gave them a $20 Starbucks gift card. And then they went and sat down and had coffee together. And uh, they talked about the, the feedback and he got deeper results from the one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, that's direct feedback. That's You're not going to get anything better than that. Um, you don't have to do the Starbucks gift card. Some people probably just give you candid feedback to give you candid feedback. But, you know, try to be honest. Um and yeah, again, you know, just ask regular feedback from your boss. Nobody asks, nobody ever asks their boss for feedback. How am I doing? What, what, what's, what's, what's your target this week? Where can I help yet? You know, um, yeah, don't what do you see? I need to sure up on, you know, yeah. And nobody ever asked in it when, when it comes down to get to their evaluation and everybody's like, well, why did I get a mediocre evaluation? Because you never got feedback and you never worked on the things you need to work on. If they're not telling you go ask, 
That's, that's a, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Go ask and, and get feedback. You reminded me of a couple different points that I want to point out that I want to go to the feedback one first that I don't remember where I heard it, but it made sense when I heard it. That as a manager, a good question to ask yourself is don't bring up something with your employees that would surprise them, especially like in a performance review, because if you bring something up that would surprise them, you failed as a manager because you shouldn't ever talk about something in a performance review that they're hearing for the first time. And that's almost like a self-check to, am I providing adequate feedback to my employees throughout the time that between that period of performance review? And I've also used, I think it was a podcast. I first heard it like really get into the mindset that all feedback is a gift. Even if it's feedback that felt like it was a punch in the face, there was something about that, that you could take a little bit of peace away from. And maybe it's not all true, but you just accept it as fact and just assume that that person, whatever, how I, their view of the world is, they saw what I did is that, and you have to start going to asking why. And the other part that really hit me that I think is, you probably use this a little bit as a diagnosis, I'm sure, is using meetings as a way to diagnose your own insecurities. Because I feel like in a room full of your peers, if you are an insecure person or any real quirks about your personality, I find they show up the most in a meeting because everybody is probably fighting for the table. Everybody's fighting for their voice or fighting for their idea to be heard. There are so many different nuances that happen. And just being aware, like next time you go into a meeting, think like, why is that person doing that? Do they maybe even know that they're doing that? And if they, if you have a working relationship with them, provide feedback, like don't be afraid to provide feedback, but then also recognizing your own self. Like, why did I find the need to speak two times more than I was listening? And listening is often one of the things that I remember trying to practice in a meeting because I was always trying to have the idea or solve a problem and be that guy that had the best idea. And eventually I realized that and I was like, I got to pause and listen and just take it all in versus trying to actually posture myself during a meeting, which is usually the, wor- the worst thing you can do is try to posture yourself in a meeting because it just makes it worse. Yeah, I think you make you make a lot of good points there, especially whenever you you do ask for feedback and somebody gives you you know some critical stuff. You know, that's there's a grain of truth to that. We, a lot of us may not want to admit it, and when we get critical feedback, we automatically become defensive. But don't be defensive. Ask clarifying questions. Right. Uh, yeah. Ask clarifying questions. Well, if you want to go back to a really smart guy named Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, what's he say? First, seek to understand, then be understood. A lot of the feedback that I get is about personality. So I need to understand how I came across to people. And that's not necessarily I have to modify, modify my behavior. However, once I understand from their perspective, then I can begin to formulate thoughts and ideas and say what my response is in return. And then we begin to collaborate and build a bridge together. See, communication is about building bridges. It's not about punching each other in the face. And so that's we got to be able to, there's two different sides of communication. There's the, the talker and the listener, and both have responsibilities. And then the cards flip and you switch spot sides. It's a game. That's it. And you just have to practice that. Uh, I'm probably more of a level three or four listener, uh, but there's five levels of listening. And so that that can it's very difficult. But I'm probably just beginning to get in level four because I've been coaching for about five or six years. And I'm really starting to hear what people are saying. And some of the times I tell people and this is 
the pretty interesting uh, uh, remark that I heard one time was hear what people aren't saying. And that's through their body language. And you can kind of tell that there's more there, but they don't want to say it because they're testing the waters. And that's when we begin to ask powerful questions and ask clarifying questions. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, or you ask for feedback and they say, well, how am I doing? Oh, you're doing good. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, this week's been great. You know, well, what did I do that was so great? Like you got to ask clarifying questions. Don't just accept, you know, that first response and say, oh, he says it was good. So I'm good. Right. Wait till your evaluation comes. <laughs> Seek more understanding. How many of the veterans that you work with or just people in general are people that are transitioning? Is it a good mix of civilian and regular veterans? <laughs> Most of the people that I'm working with in the corporate world are not. Now, here's the interesting aspect of it. Uh, and this kind of ties into those veterans that are transitioning. You have no idea how much people respect you. And every time I pick up a new member, I always ask them, what is it about me that attracted you to me and wanted to work with me? And you know what most of them say? Because you were in the military and the military has discipline and they know leadership. And my parents were in the military or my uncle was in the military or they have some kind of identifying factor. I would say probably maybe one out of 10 is a veteran. And you know what? Most of them are from other countries. Um, I got one guy that was in an Argentina military that I'm working with right now. And that's one of the reasons why he selected me. And so, um, and I had another guy who was in the Israeli army and that was another reason he selected me. Uh, but that conversation always comes up. Even when I work with the ladies, they say the same thing. They talk about the discipline. They talk about the leadership. They talk about the personal and professional development. And they say, that's why we selected you because you had this experience. And that's what we thought that this would be good for our careers. That is exactly what I needed to hear because so much of like, it just goes back to that crap that we tell ourselves in our head. It's, it's not true in many cases. In this, this case, it's also not true. Like, we go in as this broken person and like, why would someone want to hire a broken person? Because we've been told we're broken mentally. So we just assume that that's who we are. But you just like, this is why we were going back to the very beginning. We talked about having that person reflect back your value. This is why as veterans, you need people in your life. You can't do it alone because that narrative in your head will become permanent and you'll only see yourself in that way until you have a Kirby Ingalls come in your life and you start questioning how you see yourself and how you see the world. And that really helps you open up. I want to maybe just give you an opportunity to share a little bit about where people want to get in touch, but then also answer a question that what is your single best piece of transition advice? I know you haven't transitioned yet, but I know there is a process in your head. What is that first question that would help get a veteran through the process of transitioning and to a place where they can have their own purpose and impact in the world that maybe not be as big as trying to save the United States of America and serving for it. But what is your favorite question to kind of lead transitioning vets through on the other side of military? My favorite question for them uh, would be, you know, what, what is your passion? What do you love? You know, what do you, what do you enjoy doing? And then you know, from that point on, we would figure out like what, what it is that is in that wheelhouse, because all of our, all of our, um, uh, skills, soft skills are translatable. Uh, and like, you know, when you were talking about the question about, you know, 
the veterans and how many I work with and the people that, you know, work with me because I was a veteran. The only thing I tell them is I served in the military for 25 years. That's it. That's, that's all they care about. Then they already have that picture of what that is and what those people bring to the table. So, you know, I wouldn't say people don't have to focus on that so much, but, you know, focus on trying to try and do it. What I did was try and triangulate, you know, what it is that you love doing and how all that ties together and how you can create that impact. Because there was a guy um, at MX Technologies, the co-founder, his brand was Brandon DeWitt. And uh, one of the things he said when I listened to him speak, uh, when I was at Patriot Boot Camp, when I was just really first starting to turn the heat up on this thing, was that uh, one of the last statements he said was, is passion and purpose are leaders. Profit is a follower. Don't, Don't focus on the money. I know it's important. I really do know it's important. I can't tell you how much it's important. But passion and purpose are leaders and profit will follow. You do what you love. You're going to be great at it. You're going to be hungry for it. You'll be thirsty. You won't be able to get enough of it. And people will see that. And it's what you do on a daily basis is how you show up is where the results are going to start happening. Uh, that's what I can tell you. You've done, you've done whatever you've done, 4, 12, 18, 25, 30 years. It doesn't matter. There's, there's something inside of you, right, that needs to come out. Um, and you need to do it. And you need to start following those passions. Um, and, and like I said, it's, it's, it'll work out for you. Um, the other piece of advice, the last piece of advice I would say is, is start early. Start early and, as, 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 and get as much results and consistency as you can. Try to do different things. You know, test the waters. Um, I started, what, six, seven years ago. Um, and I just dabbled. And then as I began to learn and understand things, you know, I wasn't, you know, as, as I exit the door uh, of the aircraft, I'm not f- trying to figure this out for the first time. Like, Oh crap, what do I do first? Pull the chute, you know? Um, yeah. That's, you don't want to f- learn on the way down. You want to start before you even get the plane off the ground. You want to start figuring it out. Um, don't build it in and don't build the airplane in the air. Um, and then where you can find me at is, uh, kirbyingles.com um and if you go to kirbyingles.com forward slash cur or leadership dash coaching uh then you can actually find my uh strength based uh guide on leadership and masculinity christian men so that's a free report that i have out there that's available to anybody that wants it uh you'll pop up on my email list and i will forewarn you that i will email you on a daily basis and i will drop value bombs as much as I can. And I'll use my experiences and other experiences that I've accumulated over time. Um, but uh, every day I try to add some kind of value to to your inbox. And hopefully you can take something that will spark and you will be able to start that fire. And I can attest to those daily emails because honestly, every time I get one of them, Kirby's very good at storytelling. And I'm like, where does this guy find the time to type this long email? Because as an employer myself, I'm like, I can barely find the time to send my own emails. And I don't, I only send one once a week. And I'm like, God, this guy just crushes it with his emails every day. So I appreciate those emails. I continue to read them. And it is interesting which ones catch my attention, which ones don't. And each one do, there's always something in there that is exactly what I needed to hear. And I want to remind and kind of like, give many of the active duty dads listening to this a good punch in the face reminder that, and it was brought to me from a recent episode uh, from military money expert that we brought, she brought up that don't assume you have your plan that in 2014, most of the people's plans were shaken up and they were told your time is up. It's time to get out. 
and they maybe thought they were going for another six. They maybe were procrastinating. So take Kirby Ingles' advice to heart. Start asking questions. And like that Sergeant Major said, today is your best day. And every day, the moment you join, you should be planning for the other side because there could be you could be medically discharged. There are so many things that could happen that your entire plan changes. And it's it's almost to a detriment in the military because it very much seems like a constant of our life. It's a routine. It's always there. It's been there forever. And you just get used to it. But it's not always going to be there. I mean, there's many people don't even start thinking about their retirement until they're 19 years into the military. And they're like, oh, man, I better start figuring this out. They're lucky they got to 19. It could have been pulled the plug at 14. and They had no plan. So really take it to heart because your family is counting on you to take it to heart and find your message and find your purpose. And I really also like what you said there about the purpose and finding your why. And I've always liked Patrick Lencioni's that when a company lives its purpose, profit is the leading indicator that measures its success, not the other way around. So as we wrap up this podcast episode, this has been exactly what I wanted it to be because we've never really went into the career field. We've never really dove into the different areas of how to improve and being in your career field, whether it be active duty or on the outside in the civilian world, it is a huge component to being a military dad. And what many cases prevents us from coming home because we either one, we're hiding at work or we're just doing using work as kind of like a crutch to avoid what we don't want to deal with at home or maybe our own shit that we haven't unpacked. Career is so important. So I thank you so much for Kirby for coming on and just opening it up and just like you did the first time, you brought yourself, you brought your value, and I am continuing and hopefully looking forward to a third time sometime in the future when you're on to something else or maybe when you've been able to grow yourself. And maybe even just we'll talk to you again once you do finally leave the Army and test some of your theories and figure out what was in theory, what was practical, and what I had to throw out and remove from the whiteboard of ideas that really worked. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody out there listening to the Military Veteran Podcast. Uh, It's an honor again. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your friendship and the opportunity to speak to your listeners on this platform. Wow. I just want to remind and say how much I loved this episode. If you are listening to it right now, you are probably thinking the same way because there was so much value that Kirby dropped. It was really hard to even pick some of my key takeaways because so much. It was just like value after value after value. Even getting ready for the show notes, it was difficult to find some of the key talking points because everything was a great talking point. Everything was something of value. But for me, if I had to pick one, and that's what this part is, for me to really pick one and narrow down exactly it is what I took away from Kirby Engel's episode, it was right there towards the end that he was talking about a mentor that came into his life and reminded him that passion and purpose are a leadership. Leading through passion and purpose, money will follow. That has been a principle that I've used on this podcast. That is a principle that I sometimes forget throughout this year, trying to be a stay-at-home dad, trying to build a business that can help sustain my life because you can get so caught up in chasing the money because everybody else is chasing the money. And so you feel like you're missing out by not jumping on this chasing the money bandwagon. But the depth and the core of who we are and what we get to build when we go through passion and purpose The foundation is so much more solid when we build off of passion and purpose versus following the money. It's so rudimentary. And I wish I would have had some of Kirby's advice during my corporate time because there were so many times where I look back on my career of where I felt lost 
I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I didn't know where I was going because like everything I would learn, I was fall in love with and I would just get more and more confused. And I was like, man, where was Kirby five years ago? I would have paid him right out of the gate because he could have opened up my world and shortcutted a lot of processes for what I needed. And so if you want to reach out to Kirby, if you want to make sure you get on his email list, by all means, there's a link down in the show notes to go to KirbyAngles.com. His emails, he sends out one every day. The value is no joke in those emails. They're almost like a six-paragraph email on impact, heart, and just connecting to the truth. And if you're listening to the podcast for a long time, you know that I'm a big fan of the truth because we often so get blinded by the truth of our life. And it's the view that we have of our truth, but then the truth that we aren't seeing that's right in front of us as well. And Kirby has an amazing way to unlock that, give you a perspective, and give you that one question that you really need to be asking for your life and how to move it forward. So guys, I really hope you go check out Kirby Angles, and I'm so glad that he brought came on the podcast for a second time. I can't wait till I invite him back on for a third time. Not sure when that's going to happen, but man, I'm positive it's going to happen because me and Kirby, our orbits are definitely linked and synced up because we are always going to stay locked, close, and barrel to each other, and it's going to be real good times going forward. So guys, with that, I hope you have an amazing week. I hope that everything this week after post-Thanksgiving ends up being everything that you wanted it for, and they are able to create some amazing memories out of it. And as always, I will talk to you guys again on Friday.